We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And guys, I got a, I got a great show, a great idea for a show uh, lined up for you today. I'm extremely excited about this topic. And, you know, it's one that is a little controversial, I think, to, uh, to talk about in this day and age where uh, nuance and discussing forbidden ideas is frowned upon and canceled and screamed about by, uh, by the side that uh, easily accepts any propaganda thrown their way. So, you guessed it, we'll be talking today about Ukraine, Russia, the war, and a little bit about, or a lot about, um, some of the corruption um, in Ukraine's recent history. Uh, now, before we get to that today, and I will just say, because it's crazy, you have to go on the record saying this first before you talk about anything nuanced related to uh, the Russia-Ukraine war, um, I am against war. I am anti-war. Uh, war is is not the answer. It's not the way to change hearts and minds, and it's it's not the way it's not the way to advance liberty. Not the way to advance a message. Not the way to advance anything. Um, at, at the end of the day, what Vladimir Putin is doing, it's destructive. It's an atrocity, and I think. The blowback that he will create in his own country um, is well, it'll ruin his his legacy eventually. I think if it hasn't already, and it's uh, it's going to set Russia back most likely uh, quite a bit. Now, of course, that's not to say that we can't look at the situation and examine reasons why Putin might have invaded. Maybe we'll do some of that today. I'm not sure if we will, if I'll get to that or not. Um, Really, the first thing I want to talk about before I get into really talking about the the Russia-Ukraine war and corruption and Hunter Biden and um, sort of this uh, Zelensky's rise to power and then um, sort of his uh, falling back from his original message to to attack uh, corruption and, and oligarchy. And before I get to that, I, I do just want to insert a quick plug here for the Lions of Liberty Pride. And you know, if, if you're not a member of the Lions of Liberty Pride, I really think you should you should honestly consider doing it. Um, if you've been a longtime listener, you're used to hearing. Three shows per week, right? Used to hearing Mark's show on Monday, Brian's show on Wednesday, and my show on Thursday. Um, what you get with the Lions of Liberty Pride, either if you join on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, or through Locals, which is lionsofliberty.locals.com. And personally, I am an advocate for Locals. 
Uh, I know a lot of other liberty-minded people are as well. Um, you know, there's been a lot of censorship from Patreon in the past. Uh, we do have people who enjoy Patreon, so we're going to stay there. We're not going to leave Patreon. But I, I do want to emphasize we do have locals as well, and you can get all the same bonus content and early access to content there and uh, you know listen to our um, Conspiracy Corners, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus shows, um, extra libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor. All of that stuff is on both Patreon and on Locals. So join on both. Why not? Um, we actually still have a Podbean um, Podbean supporters page, which I just, this, this week has been a freaking crazy week. Let me tell you. Um, I started a new job in January, which is great. I'm enjoying it, but it's, it's, it's a tough, it's, it's tough. There's, it's stretching me, um, and and stretching my skill set in ways that, I don't want to say I wasn't anticipating because I wasn't anticipating, but it's taking a, a, a lot of time. And I mean, that's, that's, not, that's not a problem. It's just, it is what it is. It takes time. Um, but, you know, I have a lot of, um, you know, things on, on my plate already. My plate is pretty full. I'm trying to move things <laughs> off my plate. So when my day job expands even more than it was, um, then it it just makes everything more complicated. And this past week was just was just crazy with you know the stuff with the day job, and then on top of that, stacking. Well, it's tax tax season's coming up, so I had to finish. I don't know why I always become the tax guy, and and I'm late with it this year. Uh, my goal normally, and actually the IRS reporting um, for I guess for LLCs and partnerships. Uh, for them to get their taxes in, I think is March fifteenth, and um, I my account files an extension without even asking me because I'm late a lot of the time. Uh, it wasn't late last year though because you know they they moved the date back. The last two years they moved the the filing date back, which was which was phenomenal. But for some reason I I'm the tax guy. So I end up doing, for Lions of Liberty, I do all the tax preparation. I do hand it to an accountant to, uh, to do the filing and all of that stuff. But you know, I, I do all the QuickBooks and the reconciliation and all that crap for Lions of Liberty, for Run Your Mouth Coffee, um, rymcoffee.com, always uncensored coffee. Check it out, free plug. Um, for Run Your Mouth Coffee, I do all those taxes. And then for my land businesses, I do all the taxes there as well. And then, um, for our, for our other business, for our, I have a personal land inventory as well that I do taxes for. And then, uh, my wife and I supplement business. I do the taxes for that too. It's freaking crazy. And I got to work 50, 60 hours a week. So people say they're busy. I don't know. I don't know what they mean by, by busy. Anybody can be busy, but what are you actually doing with the time is the question coming from someone like myself who knows I can much better utilize my time. I can need, I need to become much more efficient with my time and I need to get better at prioritizing things, um, expanding the time for the, you know, the, the, the best, the, the biggest ROI, um, biggest bang for the buck, expand, focus on that and reduce my time on the things that, that, that are not working. So, That'll be 2022, uh, a year of reprioritization. 
said that word weird. Weird. I said that kind of uh, like Brian says, organ organization. Like he's Canadian. It's organization. Reprietorization. Say it like an American. You don't say it like Canadian. Like Brian apparently is. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. So there's all that stuff this week going on. And then on top of that, um, so I'm recording this Wednesday night, super late. Publishes first thing Tuesday or, uh, Thursday morning, and of course Wednesday night I have, uh, have my daughter's uh, softball clinic. She's six years old, learning how to play softball. So for an hour and a half tonight, I uh, was helping little six-year-old and five-year-old girls learn how to throw, catch, and hit a softball. And I will tell you this: many of them are much better than you would think at hitting a softball off a tee. But catching a softball, not too many six-year-old girls can catch a softball or throw a softball to a target. And that's that's okay. It's it's all about it's all about fun and, and getting them to uh to learn the game. And super proud of my daughter Ruby tonight. She uh, took a softball that bounced up and hit her right, I think right above the nose. And she she was I mean she was tearing up and she uh you know for a minute she she wanted to you know step off to the side and stop but uh, you know I gave her a little encouragement and she got back in there and got after it so super super proud of uh, of my daughter and I definitely a proud dad and speaking of proud dads let's talk about Joe Biden but he's a proud dad of of his old son there Hunter huh okay sip of some uh, sparkling water. Sparkling water. By the way, if you're not drinking sparkling water, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Uh, this is a uh, a grapefruit sparkling water. Aldi brand. Aldi brand. Uh, if, you know, if you follow Chris Spangle on Twitter or Facebook, you know that he's the scum of the earth and hates Aldi. So in spite of Spangle, I like to always enjoy as, as many Aldi goods as possible. Uh, so speaking of great dads and great great relationships between um, children and fathers, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and Ukraine. So what, what a lot of I mean, let's let's kind of zoom back out for a minute before before I kind of before I kind of go into the, the path I want to go down on Ukrainian corruption. So I think it's very easy as Americans uh, to sit back here as this war is playing out and to, and do, and to do exactly what I'm going to do today, which I think I don't think there's anything wrong with talking about it. I think we need to talk more about it and talk more about the nuance and all the issues. But I do want to emphasize this. We cannot lose sight of the fact that there is a a hot war going on in Ukraine. People are dying. Ukrainians are dying. Russians are dying. Innocent people are being killed. We we can't lose sight of that. Um, the different things that are happening, um, we cannot lose sight that there is a war and people's lives are being destroyed in generation generationally. Um, lives in Ukraine and in Russia are being altered. Now, being someone who's anti-war, I'm in favor of de-escalation as the first priority 
of saving lives as also the first priority and of ending this conflict also as the first priority. That's three first priorities. And a lot of people would say, John, how can you have three things that are the first priority? And I would say it's because they are all so freaking important that we have to prioritize all of them. So that that's my stance on this whole thing. And what annoys the crap out of me, and I was listening to, I think, the latest, maybe it was two uh, part of the problems ago with, uh, with Dave and Robbie the Fire, and they were talking about uh, you know Russia Ukraine situation, and in, in one um, you know one segment they brought up like how you know obviously you have the, the people out there the the Ukraine Ukrainian supporters who as soon as the war started they put the they took down um, you know the mask up or the I'm vaccinated uh, profile rings and they replaced it with the Ukrainian flag, it, with, it just it's amazing. It's it's it it blows my mind to see how easily people are affected by propaganda, and I'm not just saying just U.S. propaganda, Ukrainian propaganda, there's Russian propaganda, there's propaganda coming at you from from all all sides, but it's just amazing, like the cohesiveness of the of of the people, and I think Dave points out at one point the people who went from um, you know mask up to Black Lives Matters, to get vaccinated, and to, and of course, in the middle there was uh, support Joe Biden, orange man bad, and then to support Ukraine. And there's nothing wrong with supporting Ukraine. Uh, you know, I, I, I support Ukraine. I support ending the war. I want the war to end. I want the war to never have started. Ideally, that would be the best case. What could have we done so nobody died? Like that should be the question people are asking, on a uh, on a grander level. Uh, what were the mistakes that were made? Were there? I mean, that's the first question. Were there preventable mistakes made? You know, outside of. I mean, you you can look got to look at Putin's behavior, but it's important to understand Putin's behavior, and it's important to understand 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 how he thinks, and his ideology, and his motivations, and his behaviors. And what led us to this point? And you, you you can't say, well, you know, it's we can't adapt the, the way we act to, to Vladimir Putin. You know, we're the United States. We're going to do what's uh, the best interest of keeping democracies free in all of the world. Um, how about we do things so people don't die? Maybe we should look at doing things that way. And the United States shouldn't be involved in a border dispute between Ukraine and Russia. But, I mean, they could be involved from a diplomacy standpoint in helping or promoting the not killing of people, um, finding ways to de-escalate the situation uh, instead of uh, just repeatedly, repeatedly firing things up and, you know, making things more, more dramatic and honestly, I mean, I said this on a previous episode, I did not think Russia was going to invade. I got that totally wrong. And I thought it was just another, you know, uh, U.S. military industrial complex complex chest beating. And it, it wasn't that. It, it turned into a war. But the real question is, so how do we avoid this in the future? And how do we stop this war as soon as possible? It's not, you know, how, how, do, how do we beat our chest and, and say, 
we're America and we have the biggest military industrial complex in the world, it's how do we stop innocent people from dying? What's the way to do that? And the left will, someone on the left will come back and say, well, we've got to put a no fly zone over Ukraine. That's freaking insane. You put a no fly zone over Ukraine, that's declaration of war against Russia and Belarus and whoever else decides to take uh, take Russia's side. So that's the opposite of de-escalation. That would be escalation, in case you're wondering what the opposite of de-escalation is. That's what it is. But to, to come back to one more thing, uh, one more from that conversation on POTP, where you know the left makes out this caricature uh, that doesn't exist of this Putin supporter who, you know, and they cited some some article um, who was, you know, saying libertarians or people who claim who claim to be libertarian say they're anti anti-war, but they're Putin apologists. There, there is not anybody out there who is like myself, legitimately anti-war, saying we want to de-escalate the situation while at the same time cheering for Putin killing people. That's not a thing. That's not a person. That's just, that's, that, that's nothing. You're, you're arguing against something that doesn't exist. And I know a lot of his persuasion play, and it's, it's part of the prop, propaganda, how they get the people on the left to be you know, so cohesive around this message because there's this imaginary enemy um, on the right in the United States that is allegedly pro-Putin, which doesn't freaking exist. It's insane. So to, to start to dive into talking about corruption, and it's no secret that Ukraine is corrupt and has been one of the most corrupt nations in the world. And I titled this episode, Ukrainian Corruption is the Harvey Weinstein. Is What did I title it? Uh, <laughs> Ukrainian Corruption is the new Harvey Weinstein. I got the, I got the title on my uh, recorder here and it's wrong. <laughs> Ukrainian Ukrainian corruption is the new Harvey Weinstein. So what do I mean by that? Um, I mean that if we go back to, to Harvey Weinstein and that story in Hollywood, everybody knew that Harvey Weinstein, or Stein, I always forget what it is, was abusing women and using his position of power in order to get sexual favors to give females roles in movies. Everyone knew that was happening. Everyone in Hollywood knew that was happening. People, uh, people outside Hollywood knew, knew that was happening. And the same thing with, with Ukraine. Everyone knows that Ukraine is corrupt, has been corrupt. That's not to say that Russia isn't more corrupt or the United States isn't corrupt or that a lot of countries have corruption. But, I mean, it's important to point out that this is not some saintly country, uh, the democracy on the hill that is rising from the ashes of the uh, the siege that uh, the, the revolution in 2014 that uh, that reformed the government and, and brought and brought hope and, and reform and and, uh, and justice to the people of Ukraine. Uh, none of that really happened. And we'll get into talking about that, but none of that really happened. And I think it's important to set the stage 
for, you know, we talk about 2014, and I want to start off by talking a little bit about the Hunter Biden, Burisma, and corruption, the impact on U.S. government policy and related concerns. This is a U.S. Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Government Affairs report, a U.S. Senate Committee on Finance Majority Staff report. And if you read directly from this report, these are, these are just facts. Uh, reading directly from the report here. On April 16th, 2014, Vice President Biden met with his son's business partner, Devin Archer, at the White House. Five days later, Vice President Biden visited Ukraine. And, he so- and soon after was described in the press as the public face of the administration handling of Ukraine. The day after his visit, on April 22nd, Archer joined the board of Burisma. Six days later, on April 28th, British officials seized $23 million from the London bank accounts of Burisma owner Mykola Zlokshivy. I don't know how to say his name. I'm going to stumble through a lot of these names, and I really... There's no way around it. It's just going to be ugly. Sorry. (laughs) I'm not Ukrainian. I'm not Russian. And I'm sorry I'm not. Continuing on. 14 days later, on May 12th, Hunter Biden joined the board of Burishma. And over the course of the next several years, Hunter Biden and Devin Archer were paid millions of dollars from a corrupt Ukrainian oligarch for their participation on the board. So, going down to key findings from the report. In addition to over $4 million paid by Burishma for Hunter Biden and Archer's board memberships, Hunter Biden and his family and Archer received millions of dollars from foreign nationals with questionable backgrounds. Hunter Biden received, 3.5, received a $3.5 million wire transfer from Alina Batarina, the wife of the former mayor of Moscow. Hunter Biden was serving on Burisma's board, parentheses, supposedly consulting on corporate governance and transparency, uh, End parentheses. When Zolkovsky <laughs> allegedly paid a seven million bribe to officials serving under Ukraine's Prosecutor General Vitaly Yarima to shut the case against Zolchevsky. Kent testified that the bribe occurred in December 2014, seven months after Hunter Biden joined the board and after learning about it. He and the resident legal advisor reported this allegation to the FBI. So, I mean, you do, there is no secret about Hunter Biden being, you know, blatantly, blatantly corrupt behavior, profiting off of corruption in Ukraine. He's serving in this role that he was placed in that role because he is the son of the vice president and has access to powerful people who can uh, help this company to make connections and make more money, skirt regulations, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, th- that is so obvious. It- it's kind of comical to talk about it, but th- it's not talked about in the media. And for the longest time, the, the whole Hunter-, Hunter Biden laptop thing, you know, Joe Biden said during a debate that, well, there were there were 50 um, Intel operatives, former heads of the uh, the CIA and the FBI and the NSA that signed on saying that, this uh, the Hunter Biden laptop story had all of the earmarks of uh, Ru- Russian disinformation. 
So, you know, they, they get the legalities in there where they're not actually saying anything definitive. They're saying something non-definitive so they can wiggle out of it. And then when they get questioned on it after the fact, they just don't answer the questions. So it's, it's obvious that Joe Biden was lying to the American people. It's so obvious. And he's not called on it. Imagine if when Donald Trump was president, if Donald Trump Jr. Uh, or was serving on a board or before Donald Trump was president, Donald, J- Donald Trump Jr. was serving on a board in Russia or in Ukraine or in any country with uh, you know some nefarious or problematic issues or just rampant corruption going on. The hypocrisy is just off the charts with this stuff. And I could read a lot of stuff off of this report. I encourage you to check it out. I will put it on the show notes page. But I just wanted to start with that, just to sort of set the stage. Everyone knows that Ukraine has been and is corrupt. I mean, the Romneys and Pelosi's and many people from Washington in that circle of influence have profited off the corruption in Ukraine. They've profited off the corruption in the United States, too. That's what people do in positions of power. They profit off corruption. That's why they're there. So that's that's not a shock. It's not a revelation. It's just the it's the way that our corrupt governments work. To talk more about Ukrainian corruption, though, so this is from February um, 2015, and this is an article. So it's 2015. So this is right after the uh, the color revolution. Uh, Welcome to Ukraine, the most corrupt nation in Europe. And what this what this does is it walks through a uh, a cancer hospital in Ukraine, and it talks about you know a lot of the issues with you know there's people there and there's doctors there dressed in their dressed in their coats and things look to be operating normally at first glance, but once you dig a little bit deeper, you can see that things are not operating as a we'll say a, a a legal market in the in the hospital. So just to read a piece from this article. So presumably there is money said Konstantin Sidorenko, a consultant uh anesthesi- anesthesiologist at the institute when we first met in July. But for some reason that money doesn't reach the most important places like intensive care. So it means we have to earn everything ourselves. Now have to earn everything themselves. Let's think about that phrase. So the phrase earn everything ourselves, he explained, is a euphemism for taking bribes, obviously. So though Sidorenko was quick to point out that it wasn't something he wanted to do, he led the team of doctors running intensive care. So he was responsible for the Institute's most valuable patients. Clinically, he felt they had no choice but to take money. And they go on to... uh, to talk to some other doctors. Um, or actually, no, this is just a, con- a conversation continuing with uh, Sidorenko. And he's talking about all the equipment that he has and how it needs to be upkept. And it's very expensive equipment if it's not serviced, if you don't get maintenance on it, if you don't replace broken parts and different things. This is equipment worth millions of dollars that they're, they're using to treat people who have cancer. Uh, so if they don't, you know, operate a black market to make money in the margins, people willing to pay more for the services, which means that the, you know, the more wealthy, more connected, the oligarchs of society 
get better care. Uh, so this is the opposite of, of what you would want in a free market. This leads to, this is the only situation they can see where they can service their equipment in a way that people are getting care with this you know, messed up system. And a lot of people, I mean, black market activity, yes, you understand why people do it. Um, they're doing it to, in order to navigate a broken system, right? It's a totally broken system, and they're doing the best they can with the the broken regulations and the corruption, and what they're dealing with. It doesn't necessarily. I mean, it doesn't mean like you want black market societies. I mean, a lot of people talk about with the Soviet Union. One of the reasons why it stood for so long, longer than you know than it probably should have, was because it was rampant with uh, with black market activity, and I mean th- that's what keeps a lot of Countries that probably shouldn't be standing on their, you know, socialist footing or fascist footing uh, by continuing to cling onto uh, the perception of being a healthy economy is basically black markets caused by corruption, caused by government regulation is the need for it. So that's an interesting, interesting article that I wanted to touch on. So continuing on, and we'll go an article from 2019. 10 facts about corruption in Ukraine. And I'm not going to read all 10, um, but just starting out, you know, they talk about tax reforms. And experts speculate that during the previous uh, administration's presidency, a total of $9 billion went unaccounted for, and at least $2 billion of that went into the pockets of the previous regime's family's coffers. Um, so, it's not surprising, tax reform and, uh, you know, the, the elites profiting off of that. That happens. It happens in a, a lot of countries, I'm sure. Um, you look at banking. So another major contribution to corruption in Ukraine lies within the banking sector. Banking systems were so corrupt that out of 182 of the nation's banks, 98 of them have been or are in the process of being completely liquidated. That's half, actually more than half of the banks. So there's strict anti-money laundering laws, tighter control over cash flow, have helped alleviate some of the corruption. I don't know if that's true. Um, In addition, banks that survived the crisis are now liable for any losses their clients suffer due to fraudulent banking practices. Well, that's good. Banks should be able to lose money. It's a problem in the U.S. Banks can't lose money because basically they can loan unlimited amounts and they don't have to keep reserves. And if you go to a bank and you want to take out $30,000 of your money, you basically can't do it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pain in the ass to do something like that. Uh, another major issue. So gas and natural resources. Ukraine's elite took advantage of the discrepancy between subsidized and market gas prices, skimming billions of dollars from state funding. Um, one major gas company is largely responsible for creating a domestic reliance on Russian imported gas by penalizing domestic gas production and discouraging efficient energy methods. I mean, once again, that stuff happens in uh, in a lot of countries, but it's kind of gives it gives you background for you know some of the the moving parts in Ukraine. U- Ukraine is a very 
um, resource-rich country. And when you have resources controlled by oligarchs, by monopolies, nationalized by the government, different things of this nature, I mean, when you have that much power at stake, that's going to lead to corruption. And once again, I'll just say, that's not to say that Russia doesn't have corruption. Russia is more corrupt than Ukraine, I, I would imagine. Um, they talk about demopolizing. Demop- <laughs> wow, that's a tough word to say. Monopolization. M- monopolization. Demonopolization. I said it. I got it right. And the justice systems, of course, are corrupt. Where they're not corrupt. This one's interesting. Higher education. So I was reading this one, and so bribery demands from professors, deans, and department boards have increased in recent years and show no sign of slowing down. According to a student-teacher violation monitoring website, students attending these institutions reported more than 400 violations, 41% of them being related to bribery. So, I mean, that's not something you see, uh, I don't think, in the U.S., higher education bribery. Bribery. I cannot talk tonight. I'm sorry. It's so late and I'm so tired. I got like three hours sleep last night that I, I've just lost the ability to uh, to form sentences and letters are, are mixing up and saying these Ukrainian <laughs> Russian names. It's uh, it's turning into a mess. But, you know, we'll, we'll get through this. I got a couple more articles I want to talk about. We will get through this. We will soldier on. Two more articles. Most important one coming up now. A brief history of corruption in Ukraine, the dawn of the Zelensky era. So this one, a lot of interesting stuff in this article. Highly recommend giving it a read. I would like to just read the whole damn thing right now, but I'm not. So... I kind of want to talk about a lot of stuff I didn't know about Zelensky's rise to power. I knew some of it, but some of these uh, little stories are, are kind of interesting that, that I will touch on. So when Zelensky won, um, he walked to the parliament building um, to take the oath of office, saluting and high-fiving his fans along the way, even taking selfies with them. He had a big smile on his face. His body language uh, ex- exuded elation. At one point, he jumped up to kiss the bald head of an old friend from his comedy trope. So that's that's something there. And this kind of gives you, so this next quote from Zelensky gives you an idea. This was his rhetoric during the campaign, which the reality of you know his presidency has, has not really been this. So he says, this is Zelensky after being elected in 2019, he says, my election proves that our citizens are tired of the experienced pompous machine politicians over the 28 28 years of independence have created a country of opportunities, the opportunities to bribe, steal, and pluck resources. Interesting. I mean, you can see some commonalities between a Zelensky and a Donald Trump entertainers, you know, Zelensky, comedian, Trump businessman, but also entertainer, um, outsiders coming in with that, uh, the appeal that, you know, they, they can shake things up. So it's, it's, 
it's interesting looking at some of those commonalities there. So let's continue this Zelensky quote, and I want to jump down to another, another piece here. So he says, continues, we will build a country of other opportunities, one where all are equal before the law and where all rules are honest and transparent, the same for everyone. And then he said, to the utter shock of onlookers inside the Verkhovana Rada, and awe of the crowds outside and watching on television, Zelensky dismissed the parliament and announced new elections. So imagine if, imagine if it worked that way. Our constitution was written that way in the United States. Imagine if Joe Biden would have been elected, and after his inaugural address, he just said, "Okay, everybody out. We're going to elect new people." Um, that would have been something. I mean, I'm no fan of democracy, but I don't think that's the right way to go about it. So, and of course, the result of that election, what happened is it led to Zelensky's party, his newly formed party, uh, the Servant of the People Party, named after his television show, which he played the president on the television show. It's just ridiculous. (laughs) So they won. They secured 254 of the 423 seats. So they had single-party majority for the first time in Ukraine's history. And in the very first session, the parliament appointed a 35-year-old technocrat as prime minister. So a lot of change. A lot of change is happening. Uh, Zelensky's uh, approval ratings up at 70%. People are happy with him. Uh, he's 41 years old at the time. The youngest parliament Overall, average age of 41, Prime Minister 35, youngest cabinet in Europe, average age of 39. So this is the this is the the millennials and Generation X um, heading into Ukrainian politics. Things did not necessarily go according to plan, though. So Zelensky had ties to a very prominent uh, Ukrainian oligarch, Igor Kolomoisky. And Kolomoisky actually had been hiding in uh, Israel and Switzerland um, during the previous regime's rule. And he, he f- actually funded, so uh, he funded Zelensky's company, Kavardal 95, and signed a contract. Kalinsky, Kalinsky, combining the names, Zelensky signed a contract with Kolomoisky's media holding um, one plus one for the production of sitcoms and films, most notably a comedy show also called Cavardo 95. So obviously pretty close relationship, extremely close relationship, business and personal between Zelensky and this Ukrainian oligarch. And, you know, this uh, Kolomoisky, he was a guy that he had his bank taken away from him. He owned it until 2016, private bank was nationalized. The name of the bank was Privat or private bank, however they, they said it, probably not like that, uh, was nationalized in Ukraine. And then there's a bunch of lawsuits and he starts filing lawsuits after Zelensky comes to power. And an interesting piece there, so this is all going on. This oligarch makes his way back to Ukraine. He has the influence there. He's, you know, fighting to recover uh, his losses from, from losing his bank and at the same point in time, a uh, uh, Valeria Gontrevi, 
Gan Teraveva. <laughs> a, I can't say the name. A former governor of the National Bank who was widely credited for cleaning up the sector. The same time this is going on, this, this oligarch comes back. She experiences a string of traumatic episodes, including a strange hit and run traffic accident in London, arson attacks against her home outside uh, Kiev, um, her daughter in law's car in Kiev, and a sudden search of her apartment by unidentified mass law enforcers in Kiev. Um, she's blamed Kolomoski for her woes, but he has denied any involvement. So, very, very interesting. Pretty clear what's what's happening there, and not not surprising, uh, based on the level of corruption in Ukraine. And you know th- things start to change uh, for Zelensky over time. He comes in with this optimism, this re- this reform vision, how he's going to change things, going to be a new way forward. And then um, you know his his parliament, his majority, and his uh, his overhauled cabinet they drastically fail. And what he ends up doing is he gets rid of his cabinet, gets rid of all the young people, all the millennials, all Generation Xers, and he brings in more seasoned officials. Uh, Many who had held, you know, similar or the same uh, senior jobs before in the government. Uh, Many who had failed implement reforms. Many who had a history with corruption. So this is the environment in Ukraine and this is not long ago. This is uh, you know, 2019, so pre-pandemic, and then into the pandemic. You know, Zelensky and the government they they were criticized a lot for how they responded to the pandemic, and th- th- things did not were not going a- as planned for Zelensky. Um, he criticized the healthcare reform, was trying to undo um, a part of the reform that was supposed to go. It was supposed to be launched and, and implemented. Um, they had a uh, they have this crazy. It's actually. It might work. It's just with the corruption. Who knows if it's actually real? But there were so so much corruption in Ukraine with government contracts and things like that that they implemented a e procurement system called Prozoro, and the. Uh, Economy and Agriculture Minister, Zelensky's guy, starts to criticize it, calling it weird because it didn't prioritize Ukrainian producers and instead picked tender winners by price, which probably should do that, right? I mean, if you have a government uh, piece of software that is going to be made to get the best deal for the government – and to conserve taxpayer dollars, it, it, it should do that, right? But uh, this agriculture minister doesn't like that. He wants to be able to pick the uh, pick who he has contracts with and and who gets the government's money. And another thing Zelensky did is he drained money from local budgets to shore up the national budget. And this move posed a risk to his reform initiative, obviously, Um which was supposed to empower municipal governments by decentralizing budgetary spending. Hey, that sounds kind of libertarian, doesn't it? Nice rhetoric there. Nice rhetoric. Too bad it didn't didn't follow through with it. So things did not go as planned. He came in with these grand ideas, grandiose ideas, which we often see from politicians in the U.S. and abroad, and not able to implement it. And this is after having the opportunity 
to turn over all of Parliament, bring in fresh faces, bring in the youngest people, the youngest Parliament that the country has ever seen, maybe the youngest Parliament in the world, with new fresh ideas, the youngest cabinet surrounding himself with people who are ready to to to, to change and to. Uh, it sounds like you know br- bring some liberty to Ukraine, and it all falls flat. And really, at the root of it is still these ties to corruption. They can't get away from the corruption. The oligarchs still have a stranglehold. And I mean, that is the case in the United States. I'm not saying that's unique to Ukraine. Uh, it's, it's, it's obvious in the United States that the people who control the media narratives, or I should say the corporations who control the media narratives, the pharmaceutical companies, the military-industrial complex, the investment banks, um, that you know, conglomerate, um, they, they, they control the media, and the media creates the fear to increase the amount of control that they have. So it's, it's a vicious cycle. And I'm sure things are, are, are very similar and hard to break in Ukraine. So not necessarily faulting Zelensky. You know, I don't think... He's made out, he's literally made out to be a saint by Nancy Pelosi. And she wrote, read a poem that Bono wrote. This was at the uh, St. Patrick's Day breakfast last week. She read a poem from Bono that called Zelensky a saint. Now, I don't, I don't know the guy personally. You know, there's, there's some history out there about, uh, you know, he's, he's cited in the Panama Papers, for having shady financial offshore dealings. Um, he has these shady relationships with, with oligarchs. Um, I, I will say he seems to be pretty genuine in his uh, you know, desire to defend Ukraine. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you have legitimate Nazis in the Azov Battalion fighting under the Ukrainian banner, um, being armed by the United States, that's not to say that I'm excusing the Russian invasion, people. Trying to look for ways to de-escalate. So is he helping with de-escalation? I don't know. Calling for a no-fly zone? That's not de-escalating. So he's basically calling for a declaration of war from NATO and the United States on Russia. That's what that means when you call for a no-fly zone. That means I want you to declare war on Russia. That's exactly what it means. There's no other way to interpret that. That's uh, it's the only interpretation that matters because that that's what would happen. I mean, I, no way that wouldn't happen. So to get through the rest of this article, um, I, I do want to wrap this up. Um, I don't want to go more than an hour. So, yeah, I just wanted to – I guess I got, I got to the point. Yeah, when he, I can't get over the fact that in his TV series, Servant, and it was called Servant of the People – Zelensky played the role of a president who is spotlessly clean and relentlessly fights corruption. And I forget where we brought this up. I think it was in the upcoming um, episode, which you'll hear, where myself and Mark Clare and Rico um, recount the documentary Grizzly Man, uh, which came out in 2005. Fantastic documentary. Um, we did, we're doing that because one of our patrons, you know, once a month, one of our Nittany level patrons, that's $50 um, subscription 
and up, they get to decide a topic for a show that we do. And Maurice picked, we want us to watch Grizzly Man and talk about it. Um, so I, I totally lost track of, of where I was going with that, how I got to Grizzly Man. Um, oh, I remembered. So yeah, we talked about there. So I, I was I was referencing the servant of the people show that Zelensky was on, and it's so what an what a convenient setup to have a popular TV show funded by uh, Ukrainian oligarchs that gets you in power to become the president of Ukraine. How convenient! Then you look in the United States. Oh, what do we have here? Oh, what's what's this show? The Young Rock, um, the Young Rock, which basically. I haven't watched it, but it seems like it's it's casting um, The Rock. And, and I'll say first, I am mostly a fan of The Rock, of his work ethic, of um, his positive attitude. I think he scares the shit out of me um, as a potential politician. And his uh, level to uh, really weaponize persuasion and manipulation to push through uh, the really the agenda of the new world order. Let's just say for what it is. I mean, this might get me banned from YouTube, but that's exactly what it is. And you have this convenient show casting the rock, you know, reviewing his young years and his trials and tribulations, how he overcame them, the obstacles. And then I think they also during the show, they're going to have him ascend to become president. I don't think I made that up. I think I remember hearing that, that story correctly, but it's it's just insane the the level of propaganda out there, just how in your face it is now. Like, has it always been this in your face and people just didn't notice? I I, I don't I don't get it. All right, I'm starting to lose my voice now. Last thing I want to talk about, and some of this can be taken with a grain of salt, the corruption perceptions index. Even that name is like, what the hell does that mean? Corruption perceptions? What do you mean? Whose perception? Whose perception is this corruption? Well, that's that's interesting. So what this thing does is it, it basically it, it ranks 180 countries and territories around the world by their perceived levels of public sept- sector corruption. And the results are given on a scale of zero, which should be highly corrupt, to 100, which should be very clean. And I'll just what I'll do is I'll just go through some of these and just talk about some of the highlights and you, you'll still see this is interesting. So the lowest one is South Sudan, got a score of 11, Syria, 13, Somalia, 13, Venezuela, 14, Yemen, 16. Maybe if we stopped bombing these countries, they would have less corruption. Maybe. Maybe there'd be more trade and diplomacy if uh, there weren't uh, you know, roving gangs and mercenaries that were in control of large areas Due to our, uh, you know, military and uh, the expansionary U.S. empire bombing the shit out of people, might help. Somehow, North Korea doesn't make any sense here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna call bullshit on this one. North Korea got a score of 16. You're telling me North Korea, a country where the leader has essentially kidnapped the entire country. Controls all of the media 100%. He's enslaved his people. That doesn't get you the lowest score on the corruption perception? Okay, that doesn't make any sense. All right, so scrolling up here, and let's let's just do a search. 
uh, United States of America, score of 67. So let's compare the U.S. Let's see who's around the U.S. So we scroll down to 67. Da, da, da. So you got Chile, also at 67. Taiwan, 68. UAE at 69. Nice. Um, France, 71. Japan, 73. Who's right below the U.S. going down? Da, da, da. Got the Bahamas, Barbados, South Korea, Portugal, Spain, Israel. Wow, Israel, 50, score of 59. Slovenia, Italy, Italy at 56, Slovenia 57, Costa Rica, 58. See, some of these countries, though, like I know Mexico's pretty low, but, and I know Mark's talked about this before on his show. Mark lives in Mexico. But, you know, some of these countries that are just, the government is just so corrupt. It's just everybody understands it. It's like, yes, we know our government is a gang of thieves robbing us blind. We're just going to live our lives the best we can to navigate that truth. And we're not even going to bullshit about it as everybody knows it. So I think a, a piece, at least in the United States, would be ni- it would be nice if more people just start to understand that. I think that's a, that's a big, uh, big step forward. Um, at the top of the list, Denmark, Finland, uh, those Scandinavian countries, they're on top of it. This is kind of bullshit. New Zealand at, uh, at 88, you know, after, after locking people up for not getting their shots. Uh, Sweden, 85, I believe that. Switzerland, 84, sounds right. But Canada, 74, can you, I mean, are you even allowed to, doesn't Canada still have like a, a national vaccine pass? Can you even travel if you're not vaccinated anywhere in Canada? And I know that's not necessarily corruption, but it kind of is exactly corruption because it is extortion, um, forcing people to take a pharmaceutical product in order to live their life. So that's, I mean, it doesn't get more corrupt than that. So that's perception, whose perception is it? That's kind of a bullshit rating, but interesting to look at. Highly recommend it. I'll put that in the show notes page too. And that, I mean, that's really, I wanted to talk about more stuff, but I always run out of time. And I just wanted to leave a minute here at the end while I just kind of gain my composure and, and slow, slow things down for a minute. And thank you for listening to this show. And thank you for listening to uh, Mark and Brian's show as well. Uh, if you listen on the Lines of Liberty Network, if you listen on my feed, on the Finding Freedom feed, thank you so much. Um, you know, all the sub- subscribers I can get there uh, are very much appreciated. All of the five star. Uh, ratings, all of the the nice reviews help me tremendously, and I appreciate them more than you know. So, and those of you who are subscribed to both, you guys are the real champions. If you're subscribed to all four and you're a Pride member, there should be a reward for that. I don't know what it would be. I'm open to ideas, but people who are subscribed to all four feeds uh, there should be some sort of reward because you are the Lions of Liberty champion. And just as a reminder to find the Finding Freedom feed. And what I had been doing was every Tuesday I would have an episode, most of the time an episode, a rewind a pre- of a previous um, episode from my archive, one you know pulling a very popular um, 
evergreen episode from the archive. The last two weeks, I haven't done it. Like I said at the top of the show, shit has been absolutely crazy. I'm going to get back on that track. I'm open to ideas. I might alter it. might make a little, little short snippet pieces of shows instead of a whole show. Um, see how that works. I don't know. I'm not going to make any promises. I'm thinking about it. So every Tuesday, you will get something starting again next Tuesday. And then every Thursday, my Finding Freedom feed, you get this show, of course. And you can find that feed by just searching Finding Freedom. If it doesn't come up, because there are competing shows, there are names similar to mine and exactly the same. There's other Finding Freedom shows. If you don't see mine there, I mean, you'll see this logo that's behind me if you're watching the video. Um, the uh, Finding Freedom uh, symbol that is breaking through the chains on two fists. If you don't see that logo in Finding Freedom, then just put my name after it and uh, it'll it'll pop right up on I think I've tried on every every search engine and that and that every podcast search engine that, that pretty much does it. So appreciate everyone for listening. Appreciate our pride supporters. Appreciate anybody who has made it this far through my rants. And uh, I look forward to uh, talking to y'all next week. I have a very interesting show that I thought I might have had this week, but hopefully I have it next week. Just a crazy, crazy story that I'd love to shine a light on. So hopefully we get that together. If not, I'll be back with something else. So with that being said, always remember to keep your head up and the fire's liberty burning. <laughs>